Amen. Please have a seat. Great song to lead into what we have this morning in the Joseph story. Your love never gives up. It never forsakes us. And that's the theme that continues to rain down during this entire narrative. It's so simple. God was with Joseph. Through times of incredible discouragement, in times of danger, in times of tears toward the end of the narrative, even tears of joy, God was with Joseph. And I want you to know this morning that God is with you. And it may not seem like it. You may not feel it all of the time. But God has chosen you to be His own. He is walking alongside of you. He loves you deeply. And to understand and accept that truth can be life-changing. And so what I want you to see in the text this morning is that God is near, God is present, and that God is always with you. And as the narrative goes on in the Joseph story, we see it so clearly time and time again. I mean, here's a, here's a 17-year-old, and he has a dream that he would rule And by now, as we get to this point of the narrative, he knows that God's hand is upon him because he was born to rule. And as he was having this dream and he announces it to his family, it tears his family apart, the jealousy, the hatred. And so God uses all of that evil and he puts Joseph exactly where he wants them, right in the compound of uh, Very powerful man, Potiphar, the captain of the guards, an executioner, prison keeper of those that had committed treason in the empire of Egypt. And there Joseph flourishes because God is grooming him to rule. But then it seems again that the dream is in danger because the wife of this man sets her eyes on Joseph. And day after day, she pursues him and tries to seduce him until one day Joseph just ran. And she accused Joseph of rape and he was put in prison. And we look at that and we say, God is with Joseph? God is with this this man who's now in prison? Yes, the dream is still alive. And the dream is alive for you and me. On days when we're discouraged, on days when we don't think we can take another step, on days when we don't feel like our prayers are being answered, the truth of the matter is, God is with Joseph and God is with us. So take your Bibles, let's take a look at this text and let's find this out for ourselves. Because what Moses is writing here is profoundly important. And it's not hard to grasp. It's really hard to believe. It's really hard to personalize. And so open your Bibles to Genesis 39, verse 20. And if you want to grab a Bible on that rack in front of you, it's on page 33. Again, great chance to use the app. Pull it out, download the app on your phone, and you can just follow along under Media, Sermon Notes, Life of Joseph, and you'll find your way. And the great thing about that is you can type notes right into the app, and you can take it home with you, and you can look it over during your devotions or family time. So here we are in the narrative. Joseph 
has said no to Potiphar's wife. He's in prison. But God is with him. And I want you to notice as we read these three verses, how many times that the narrator, Moses, alludes to the fact that God is there with Joseph, that God is working behind the scenes to help Joseph. So we'll start in the first part of verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And so again, this theme that continues to rain down through the entire narrative is so profound. The Lord was with Joseph. And now we take this and, and, and some of us are cynical enough to say to ourselves, yeah, but 4,000 years ago, I can't relate to this. I mean, this was a, a man that God obviously had his hand on. This was a man who seemed like his life was planned out ahead of time. This is a guy who, who was ruling and was in prison. I can't, I can't relate to any of this. But what I can tell you is that the truth of the matter is that God was with Joseph and so God is with you. And he's with me. And I'm going to prove it this morning. We're going to get evidence to that effect. And so the first evidence that I see is, is quite obvious. But it's worth mentioning. We know the Lord was with Joseph because of textual evidence. Because of textual evidence. In other words... How do we know? Because the Bible tells us this is true over and over again. This is throughout the entire Joseph narrative. That, the God, that God is with Joseph. And so if you believe that the Bible is true, if you believe that this is really God's word for you, and if you believe that this is from God himself and is a message and a letter to you, then you can believe this truth through textual evidence. Because as you go along, what you see here, it appears as though the agents of change in the story are the brothers. It appears as though it's Potiphar. It appears as though it's Pharaoh. But the, agents of, the agent of change is, is God. It's all about God. And this narrative is so interesting because it is so unlike the other stories of the patriarchs where God was right in their face. Hey, Abraham, I'm calling you out of Ur to the promised land. Jacob, I'm going to wrestle with you. No, there's none of that here. What's here is the implicit work of God in the life of a man. And we see that God was with Joseph. Here's a couple of other examples in this section. If we go back to verses 2 and 3 in chapter 39, we read, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. Now, that's a non-believer who noticed. 
This is the captain of the guards. Pharaoh's army. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. The text tells us so clearly that God was with Joseph. And what the text does in this narrative is it puts aside any presupposition that kings, royalty, or ordinary people were driving the narrative forward. The distinct work of God is what moves the story forward because it's about the dream. It's God's dream. It's not Joseph's dream, not our dream. It's God's dream. And so he wasn't going to let that die. And so God was with Joseph time and time again. And we can be assured of that as well. When the keeper of the prison understands that, when the captain of the guard understands that, then we can believe it too, that God is with Joseph. The dream wasn't going to die. And so I know for many of us, it seems that our dreams die and we run into things that we never thought we would run into. Things happen to our kids. Things happen to our marriages. Things happen to our jobs and our finances. And we just say, God, where are you? And what I'm trying to encourage you with this morning is that you can step into and lean into this truth that God is with you. And that can change the way you think and it can change your life. I just had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a man from a church that I pastored, a wonderful and godly man. And he and his wife had just run into the situation with one of their children. and It was a devastating situation. And so he just called me seeking counsel. And so we talked for quite a long time on the phone. And I shared, I said, hey, you know what? We're in this narrative on Joseph. And in Genesis 50, there's this incredible promise that, hey, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And I said, it may seem that what's happening with your child is is evil and destructive. And it may be, but don't doubt that God is working. And I said, it goes far beyond the fact that God's kind of in the corner, kind of cheering you on, you know. Or that God's in front kind of going like, hey, yeah, come on, come on. Sometimes we have that view of God, that he's distant. But he's kind of watching over us. That song, you know, that Bette Midler song, From a Distance. I mean, they actually sang that song in churches. Terrible theology. God's not from a distance. You're indwelled with Jesus Christ if you're a believer. So I said to him, God is in your story. Not, not only is he cheering you on, he's moving the story forward, even in your child's life. And so he was encouraged by that because... It helped him to understand that there was hope. And I want you to have hope. I want you to know that God is with you too. Because I know life can be difficult. And things happen that we're not expecting to have happen. And we sometimes wonder, is God really with us? But I can tell you based on textual evidence that he is. The second evidence that we have, that God has been with Joseph through this whole story, is the evidence of his steadfast love for Joseph. He 
he loved Joseph deeply. His love was steadfast. His love never wavered. And so if you look at the first few words of 21, you see this truth. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. This is really the linchpin of the entire narrative. I mean, all through these dark days for Joseph, and sometimes we, we romanticize this story, and we forget that this had to be incredibly discouraging. Here, here he was, a 17-year-old kid, turned on by his brothers and left in a water cistern to die. And then they got the bright idea, oh, we can make some money, let's sell him instead. How's that for loyalty? And then he finally finds some traction in this compound that he's running really well. And because he chooses God over the wife, he's back in prison. That had to be incredibly discouraging. There had, to be, there had to be many long nights for Joseph. But the text tells us that God never stopped loving Joseph. He was there with him the whole time. Even through those dark nights that Joseph had to experience. And this is what the text tells us. The love was there. Now, I know that many of us have a hard time believing this because we feel like we're too broken for God to love us. And if, if you aren't at times grappling with your brokenness, then you should look deeply at your relationship with Christ because the whole idea of receiving grace from Christ comes from the knowledge of your own brokenness. But sometimes that brokenness turns into something that's very unhealthy. It turns into shame. It turns into self-loathing. And so we walk around with this idea that we're too broken for God to use us or even love us. But if you look at the life of Joseph, here's a cocky young man who had this dream. He wasn't sinless. He didn't use any wisdom when he went to his family. I mean, it's not very bright. You know, you have this dream and you walk over and go like, hey, I'm going to rule over all of you. It's not the best way to get a good reaction. But God used him. And look at his family. I mean, murder, deceit, polygamy, you name it. It's right down the line. And God said, I'm going to be faithful all the way for you. Because, you see, God has something bigger going on. In, in Joseph's life, it was the dream. It was that Joseph would rule. It was so that Joseph could invite his family during a famine to be saved and then flourish as Israel in Egypt. But for us, it's God's kingdom program. God is inviting people into relationship with Himself. And so, He will love you because He wants you to be part of that program. And, and, you know, even the Apostle Paul, I mean, Apostle Paul was a wreck. The guy was a disaster. I mean, the guy killed people. I I hope there's no one here that has. If you feel like you're too broken, I want you to see what Paul says about himself here. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy 
so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. Don't you love that phrase, unlimited patience? God never looks at you and says, I'm ashamed of you. God never looks at you and says, you're too dirty for me. God never looks at you and says, you know, you just don't have what it takes for my thing. But yet, it's so hard to break out of our own self-loathing and really embrace the truth of this simple phrase, God is with us. God is with you. I mean, I, I go through that too. I mean, I'm, I'm the king of self-loathing. You know, I, I, I pace back and forth. There's actually a little hallway back here. There are Sundays where I pace back and forth just praying, like, what did you choose me to do this for? Like, who am I to preach this sermon? Who am I to lead this church? You could have, you could have done better. Is that truth? I don't think so. I think the truth is, is that God is with us. And if you want to doubt that you're loved by God, I want you to see Ephesians 2.10. Here's Paul again. This is about you. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are his workmanship. When he looks at you, he sees the beauty of his creation. He he doesn't see what we see in the mirror. A lot of times what we see in the mirror is aging, you know, overweight, can't keep up with the Joneses. Like, God looks at us and says, you are beautiful. You are the pinnacle of my creation. He loves you. And, and if we had any doubt of that, why, why would God have sent His Son, Jesus, into the world to save you, to die for you? I mean, this is what the gospel is all about. The gospel is good news. It's good news that Jesus came as a representative of the love of God and took our sins upon Himself and died on a cross. That's love. And then he rose again, and the good news is is that he is still alive today, and he has been exalted at the right hand of his Father, and he will receive an inheritance which is the universe. And he came to die for you and me. How can we doubt that God loves us? And then the, the, the... The redemptive plan is so simple. Believe in faith? What? You know how many people reject Christ because they can't can't get their heads around the fact that they're worth so much that God set up His plan that they could just believe in faith? Believe in faith that Jesus is the Son of God and will be saved. Listen, that's the love of God for you. That's... The evidences. You have this textual evidence that's everywhere. You also have this love that was never ending for Joseph. And then another evidence is this. 
the Lord was with Joseph and he desired that he prosper. He helped Joseph prosper in his life. That's in evidence. Look at, again, 21 through 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Then jump down to 23. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it successful, made it succeed, made it happen. And these are really familiar themes that run throughout the narrative. And, and, and what the Bible's not saying here is that everything was really easy for Joseph, that he rescued him from every trial. But what Moses is telling us is that God was behind the success that Moses or that Joseph had. And he's also working a story out in your life that you're not even aware of. I just had an opportunity on um, Friday to attend a conference for our North Central Converge region. And it was really encouraging in a way because the material was great, but you should have been there to hear these young pastors talk about what they're doing in their churches and their passion to connect people to Christ. And we, we live with this kind of feeling that the church is going down the drain and, and everything's gone wrong. But then you see these young pastors who are leading and they're leading so well and there's hope. And there's hope always because God is writing a story not only for you and for me, but for our churches and for the kingdom. But there's another motif that's beginning to develop here. And it's fascinating, and it is about the loyalty of God for Joseph. And it's within this idea that God is helping Joseph succeed. God is loyal to Joseph. Walter Brueggemann is a really insightful theologian on this topic, and here's what he writes. Yahweh is abidingly loyal to his own. Yahweh makes his own judgment and does not accept the verdict of the empire. How very different Yahweh is from Egyptian expectations. He is loyal. His loyalty has the capacity to transform situations. God wasn't willing to stand by and say, yeah, he's, guilt. He, he's going to be in prison. I can't use him anymore. And God is not willing to accept the limitations of your situation. I'm not at all espousing the, the prosperity gospel because, frankly, I believe that in order to get to that place, we have to go through suffering many times. Don't run from suffering. Because that's where you find Jesus. And I wonder, as I was talking to you about our finances, if, if God is saying, listen, this is one more reason that you as a community need to get on your knees and start depending on me again. And cry out to me. And let me show you my loyalty so that I can transform your situation. Because he can. And he does transform situations. And so we have all this evidence, but as we're moving along, I want you to be thinking about something. And that is this, that this journey that we're on in Joseph calls for a choice. There's a choice that you have to make. You, you have to either deny it or accept God's love for you. 
And, and if we deny God's love for us and we try to walk in our own strength and we're willing to accept shame and we're willing to walk in, in, in our own power, then we're going to keep running up against walls. But if we're willing to humble ourselves and say, you know what, I, I don't understand how you could love me. I really don't understand that. I don't. I'll be honest with you. I have nothing of worth to give to God. Nothing. I mean, all I can do is offer myself. God is the one who has transformed me and empowers me and created me. And so if I can just get over myself and let him move in my life and show me his love, then he can transform situations. And so I have to choose that. I have to choose that. I love what numbers Numbers is this beautiful theological treatise on that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's what's waiting for you if you decide to accept this love. I believe what he's calling us to in the American church today is to disengage from rugged individualism and humble ourselves at the feet of the cross. And stop trying to be these super Christians. He's calling us to be Christ followers. And so I want you to give yourself to him. And so I want to circle around one idea and then we'll close with some practical insight here. I just want to remind you again to reiterate what I said about the gospel, that Jesus is proof of God's steadfast love. And so this is such a great advantage we have. You have Joseph back here. He lives before the cross. And so he's relying on Yahweh. But he hasn't seen the end game yet, which is Messiah. But we have. We live post-cross. So now we can look and see God's love because Jesus is that love. What does he look like? Hebrews helps us with that. Hebrews 1.3 tells us he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Is that somebody worth following? Did you see that phrase? Uphold the universe by the word of his power? After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We get a glimpse of God through Jesus. So, what does love have to do with it? Well, look at what Jesus is all about in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Joseph didn't have this advantage. He didn't have this angle. We do. We can look back at the cross and say, Yeah, I must be loved. Because the person that upholds the universe by his power died on a cross for me. Who am I to doubt God's love? It's like it comes down to sin. To be so committed to my own agenda that I disregard God's love for me. When I accept his love, then I'm humbled. And... I'm gracious, and I can extend grace to other people. So let's talk about some of those ramifications. Because my life can change because God is with me. And there are profound ways that it can change. I love 
what Paul wrote in Colossians, you know, when he said that that above all things, there is love that combines all things together and holds it all together. And so I can see love and it changes how I. It changes how I live because I can love others. You know why it's so hard for some to love others is because we haven't received God's love for ourselves. So when we haven't been humbled, and if we are not filled with the gospel of grace, we have nothing to offer anyone else. Secondly, I can value loyalty because God is loyal to me. Loyalty is something that's so desperately needed in our world today. Loyalty to our spouse, to our children, loyalty to our church, loyalty to our boss, through to our teachers. Loyalty, friendship, loyalty to God. We can shine such a huge light for Christ by just being loyal. In a world that picks and chooses at a moment's notice because of consumerism, who they're going to be with or follow. The third thing is, is I can face life without fear. And when I accept God's love for me, then I can enter in and I can say, you know what? If he loves me, then I'm going to march forward in my life. And though the world has gone crazy, there's no doubt. And though the world seems to be a laboratory for nuclear weapons and the weather's out of control. And I can say, you know what I can say? I can go, okay, well, that's not good. Don't like it, but I have nothing to fear. What would life be like if Martin Luther would have sat in his study and thought, oh, man, I don't think so. This isn't the right time. Not the right place. These 95 theses that will hold up Protestantism for, for generations to come, I don't think so. Somebody else can do this. No, it's our time. There's not going to be another time. Do you understand that God has called us to be here and now? And that when we embrace his love for us, then we can move forward and we can push through anything. And so that leads me to the final insight and practical application is that God. God's love can help me engage the mission. And we can go into all the world. Because Jesus said at the end of that great commission, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so at Ridgewood Church, man, he's given us a place. He's given us a mission to, to, to go into our community and into the world in the sphere of influence that we have and to build community groups and to build disabled ministries and to, to refine our global missions program and to do all this stuff. It's all hard stuff. God hasn't called us to easy Christianity. I wish I could say, you know what we're going to do here? We're just going to become big and attractional and cool, which I'm not sure I'm capable of anyway. But, no, that's not what we're doing. That's not what you want, because you told me that. What you want to do is you want to go into the world and make a difference. And the only way we can do that is if we accept the fact that God loves us. God is with Joseph. And so through Ridgewood, we're seeing it happen. People are getting saved. People are getting baptized. 
The world can change because Ridgewood Church exists. But only if we embrace this truth. Only if we're willing to humble ourselves and to allow His love to pour into us that we can have something to give someone else. And so as I look at this text, I want you to know that God was always with Joseph. God is with you. Will you make a choice this week? Can I give you some homework? Can you spend time each day praying and asking God to help you believe that He loves you? Let's pray. God, thank You for loving us. Thank You for never being ashamed of us. Thank You for never, ever turning Your back on us, God. And this church, we have so much here. Will You please help us to embrace that and walk without fear and love each other and give each other grace. And I pray this in Your name. Amen.